over these past few weeks, there has been a, a protest movement called Black Lives Matter. And they've been demonstrating over many, many cities in the United States and it's come into Britain and even in Belfast there has been these demonstrations. And they say that they are protesting uh, against racial discrimination of black people particularly and how the police is operating within their communities. Now, I, I'm not going today to give you my personal views of the other the merits or the no merits of the rights or wrongs of such a movement. Uh, that's not my message today. But rather, it's a particular action that they use to demonstrate their solidarity with the cause that uh, I have just referred to. It's called taking the knee. Taking the knee. And that is where they drop down onto one knee, hold out their right arm and clench their fist. And it seems that now politicians of all shades and celebrities and sports stars, both men and women, are publicly taking the knee in support of BLM. Now, this was previously highlighted in 2016 when a black American footballer called Colin uh, Kaepernick, and he was in protest for the same things that are being protested about today. And so when it came to the national anthem, what he did was he, he bent down on one knee he refused to stand for the national anthem and he simply took the knee. And that began to catch on. And then, of course, the Black Lives Matter, then they have carried this on as well. Now, leaving aside all of the racial and the political and the sociological and the societal uh, ramifications of such an action, leaving all that aside, may I say that a low taking the knee has been turned into a protest, but yet one day... That will not be the case because one day every man and every woman on the face of the earth will take the knee. They will bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. And whenever they do that, it will be a sign of obedience and compliance to Christ. Imagine this, that one day every blasphemer, every atheist, every Christ rejecter, every God denier, Every non-believer and believer alike, all will take the knee. All will bend and bow the knee towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone who's watching and listening to me right now, without exception, will take the knee. And there will be no excuses. And there will, there will be no opinions asked. And there will be no waivers given. Every single person will take the knee. Now, what do I base that scenario on? I simply base it on the scriptures. Paul said in Romans chapter 4, verse 11, For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue confess to God. And then in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 45, verse 23, I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return that to me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall take an oath. And then the Apostle Paul again in Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Here's what he said, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now it's interesting that in the Isaiah passage, 
It's specifically referring to Yahweh, Israel's Savior. And as Bible scholar Gordon Fee says, who is declared to be God alone over all that he has created and thus over all gods and all nations. So the Isaiah passage, that this is the one that Paul is referring to when he says, as it is written. He's looking back to the Isaiah passage. And here's what he said, for instance, in Philippians chapter 2, because he changes it. Listen to this. He's changing it. He says in Philippians chapter 2 that at the name of Jesus. Now, he's not saying Yahweh here. He says, but at the name of Jesus. So he's elevating Jesus to the highest place on equal terms with Yahweh. He's elevating to that high place. And so he's showing that, that Jesus Christ, that every knee shall bow to him and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. You see, in Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is speaking here of the utter humility of Christ. And he's speaking how that humility of Christ led to his exaltation and his glorification. Uh, let me read Philippians 2 verses from verse 5, just before the passage we read a moment ago. This is the New Living Translation. By the way, unless I say what translation it is, you can almost take it to be uh, you know, the New King James Version. That's what I usually speak from. But this is the New Living uh, Translation. Philippians 2, starting from verse 5. Your attitude should be the same that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. He made himself nothing. He took the humble position of a slave and appeared in a human form. And in human form, he obediently humbled himself even further by dying a criminal's death on a cross. Because of this, God raised him up to the heights of heaven and gave him a name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Notice that Paul deliberately in the Philippians passage says that at the name of Jesus... For over 2,000 years now, the name of Jesus has been owned by Christians as their Lord and their Savior. He is over all the world, and as believers today, He is our Lord and our Savior. And so His name to us is precious. That's why we honor His name. That's why we revere His name. Even Peter, in, in 1 Peter 2, 7, says that His blood is precious. His blood that saved us, he says, it's precious. But untold millions use it simply as a swear word, as an expletive. They use it blasphemously, and they use it crudely, and they drag that lovely name into the gutter. There's hardly a TV program, there's hardly a movie where that name is not used except as a curse word. Why that name? Why not Muhammad? Why not Buddha? Why not Krishna? Why only that name? Well, they use it in the workplace. They use it at home in front of their children. You know, I remember one day <clears throat> I was walking through Bull Street, Lisburn, and it was a wet day. There was lots of puddles on the ground of rain. I remember seeing a mother and her little son. He must have been about four, maybe five at the most. And they were walking along, and, and he was a typical little boy. He saw a puddle and he just jumped in it. 
He just splashed and he's two feet in it. What child wouldn't do that? And right in the middle of that main street, she came out with such language to that child and the top of her voice, the whole street just stopped. And the expletives and the swearing and the blasphemy that come out of her mouth to her own little son. And I thought, if you're doing that on a main street, what in the world are you not like at home with that wee boy? I felt so sorry for the child that listened to that. They use it to express disgust or fear or anger or shock. And the thought doesn't even remotely register them that that might offend us Christians. That doesn't even remotely register. They do not care who it offends. And so they brazenly blaspheme Jesus in movies and books and plays. And they feel safe in the knowledge that no Christian is going to come after them and cut their head off. No, no Christian is going to do such a thing. There's no honour killing within Christian families as there are within some religions. And so they feel free to blaspheme. They feel free to offend us freely anytime they want to. But one day, one day, they will take the knee. One day they will bow down in obeisance and in compliance to Christ, whether they want to or not. Some will do it gladly. Some will do it sadly. Some will do it and realize how wrong they had been and others will care less and will still even want to blaspheme the name of Jesus. But they'll have to bow down their knee and they'll have to own and say that he is Lord. In Philippians 2, 10 and 11 again, it says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, those on earth and those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. At Christ's first coming, he was given that name. Matthew 1, 21. And he shall bring, she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. But right now, right now, there are untold millions that has never bowed the knee to Jesus, that has never yet confessed him as Lord of their lives. But one day, and that day may come sooner than men think, one day they will bow that knee and they will confess with their lips that Jesus is Lord. Not in any way because of they have repented, not of contrition, because by that time they will have realized that it's too late. Their opportunity to come to Christ is past forever, but they will still bow the knee to Christ. All the tyrants, all the despots, all the evil empire rulers who ever lived, all will bow the knee. The current leader of China is systematically trying to stump out Christianity. Systematically, city after city after city. He's tearing the crosses of the tops of churches. He's driving people out of their premises. Systematically, he's trying to change the very Bible. He wants to make it more communist or Christian. But even he, well, one day he will have to bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and openly acknowledge that he alone is the Lord. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, every angel, every archangel, the cherubim, the seraphim, the living creatures, all of them in heaven will bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Of those on earth, 
everyone on earth, whether kings or queens or presidents or prime ministers, whether bin men, whether joiners, whether carpenters, it doesn't matter what their profession is, what their status is, who they are, how high they've gone, how low they are, every single one will bow the knee to Jesus. And those under the earth, those who have died, will be risen again, will be resurrected, and they too will bow the knee to Jesus. That every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every tongue that blasphemed, every tongue that just used his name as a swear word, every one tongue will admit and own that Jesus is Lord. Philippians 2 and 9 says, Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Highly exalted. Whenever Stephen, the first martyr of the church, whenever he was being stoned, he said, I see heaven opened, and I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He's exalted to the highest place. No wonder Peter said in Acts 4 and 12, nor is there salvation in any other name. There's no other name given among men under heaven whereby men must be saved. Paul said in 1 Timothy 2, 5, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And Jesus said in John 14 and 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So bowing the knee is paying homage and you're surrendering to the Lord Jesus Christ. And wasn't that a glad day whenever you and I bowed the knee, whenever we bent the knee of our heart and said, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Take full claim of my life. And we began to realize very quickly that we were not our own, that we were bought with a price, that we belonged to the Lord that we just couldn't live our lives any way we chose to live our lives. That from that moment on, we were under new management and He was Lord of our lives. Now there is a problem for many people because they want to re retain their autonomy, their independence. You know, there's a parable in Luke 19 where Jesus talked about this certain nobleman who went into a far country to receive a kingdom unto himself and come back. And he gave certain amounts of money to 10 of his servants and told them just to, to go and do business for him. But whenever he was away, it tells us in Luke 19, that his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man to rule over us. And you know, that's, that's the problem of every unsaved person. Who's gonna rule their lives? Are they gonna rule their lives? Or is Christ gonna rule their lives? And that's the decision we have to come to. We have to come to that choice, who will rule my life? Will it be me or will it be Christ? And that's why we have to surrender to him. And once we truly are converted, then we soon understand that we belong to Christ, that we're bought and paid for. Uh, Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Your very body belongs to him, whom you have from God, and you're not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 
Peter says, We were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from the vain traditions of our fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without spot or blemish. You see, the price that was paid for you and me was the highest price. It was the best that heaven could afford that God gave his only begotten son to die on that Roman cross for us, to shed his own blood for us. He was innocent, we were guilty. That's the much it cost God and his son to save us. So no wonder we no longer belong to ourselves. We're bought and paid for by him. But taking the knee before Christ is not just a one-time event. When it comes to how we live our lives, that's whenever we bow the knee to him. When it comes to how we make our life-changing decisions, either about our partners or about our careers, whatever, then we bow the knee to him. Uh, when it comes to how we conduct our lives, either the way the world does or the way God wants us to, then we bow the knee to him. So all through our Christian lives, we are in every phase that we go through, we bow the knee to the Lord Jesus. We find out his will and his way and we bow to that and we do that. No one hated Christians more than Saul of Tarsus. That proud, bigoted, prejudiced Pharisee. And whenever Stephen, that first martyr, whenever he was being stoned to death, it was the young Saul of Tarsus who was standing watching that, cheering it on. And his clothes was laid at his feet as an official witness to that. But his zeal and his hatred against Christians took him out of his own land, even as far as Damascus, even in another country. He got special letters from the priests to go where there'd be synagogues in Damascus and imprison men and women, Christians. He hated them so much. But it was on that road to Damascus, you remember. That's where he had that encounter with Christ. It was to absolutely, radically change his whole life. And in, in, in Acts chapter 9, you have that wonderful story, that great testimony. In verse 1 of Acts 9, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, or the Christians that is, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And then he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? <laughs> what a transformation! What a, a magnificent, miraculous change in that man's heart at that moment. Here was a man who hated Christians with a passion. He was out to murder them, to stone them to death. And yet in an instant he met the Lord and his heart was so radically changed. In fact, he became the greatest missionary evangelist who ever lived. He wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament after this. What a change. But notice what the Lord said. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. The authorized version says kick against the pricks. And you see the farmers, whenever they had their oxen out in the fields, 
they would have a long pole with a pointy end, a sharp end. And whenever the oxen didn't want to go on any further, when it was feeling a bit lazy, he would prick it, he would jab it with, with the goad. He would goad it. And, and sometimes it would kick back. It would kick its foot back. It didn't like being goaded. And you see, Paul, his conscience was pricking him. And the Holy Spirit was convicting him. And he didn't like it. And he was kicking back. And in my estimation, this is my personal view, in my estimation, I think that began at the death of Stephen, the first martyr. You know, Paul, this is, this is the first Christian to die. You know, martyred, put to death, stoned to death. And Saul of Tarsus was there watching it. And I think it was so unexpected to see how this man died. He didn't die protesting. He didn't die screaming. He didn't die cursing. He died with a forgiving heart. He died looking up to heaven. He died seeing the Lord. Saul of Tarsus had never seen anything like this ever before. And Stephen, you see, had been a great preacher. He was a man that was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was seeing signs and wonders and miracles. And a certain synagogue in Acts chapter 6, they turned against him and they lied about him. And they said he was a blasphemer. And they put him on trial with the religious court. And if you were to read uh, uh, all of chapter 7, he would see he preached a mighty sermon. Uh, and at the, towards the end of his great sermon, in verse 51 of chapter 7, he said, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you have now become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed up into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, and they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And I think at that moment, I think something began to stir in the heart of Saul of Tarsus. And he couldn't let it go. But you know, conviction is not a nice feeling. It really isn't. You know, the Holy Spirit convicts you about something in your life. It's not a nice feeling. And often we resist it. We, we, try, to, we try to put it in the back burner. You know, we, we don't want to deal with the issue. And he was no different because it was after that he was on the road to Damascus to try to stone more Christians and imprison them. But he couldn't get away from it. And Jesus knew it. And he says, Saul, you're kicking against the goats. And at that moment, he fully and completely and utterly surrendered his life to the Master. At that moment, he took the knee. At that moment, metaphorically, he bent the knee to Jesus. And he became the greatest preacher that the world has ever seen. What a mighty man of God. You know, 
the history of the Church of Jesus Christ. It's a long history of men and women who have refused to bow the knee to the dictates of this world, but instead bowed the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they've carried that torch, and they're still doing it to this day. You know, we're relatively safe in this country. Nobody's banging on our door wanting to kill us. Nobody's coming to our church buildings and standing outside and with rocks in their hand to stone us as we come out the door. But there's parts of the world where that's happening right now. It happens in India, parts of North India, that's happening. Christians are being killed, numbers like never before. <laughs> but there's many who are not bowing the knee. Instead, they're only bowing the knee to Christ. And even if it costs them their very lives, they will do it. Even if it costs them their job and their livelihood, they will only bow to the Lord Jesus. Now let me just wrap this up. In 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19, Elijah tells the story of that great confrontation with the prophets of Baal. King Ahab, who was the worst king Israel ever had, he was the most wicked, most idolatrous they ever had in their history. He was married to equally a most idolatrous woman called Jezebel, who hated God's people with a passion. And so Elijah challenged them. He challenged them to see who could call fire down from heaven and burn up a sacrifice. Whether God would be God and do this, or whether the prophets of Baal, whether their God, Baal, would do this. And if you read that wonderful story, and I, I haven't time to go through it today, but if you read that story, you'll see, of course, God won that battle. And the fire of God came down from heaven and burnt up that sacrifice. And Elijah killed 400 of those evil prophets with the sword. And then, just when he thought that Ahab and Jezebel would repent and fall on their knees and bow the knee to God, they didn't. In fact, she threatened to kill him that very day. And so he ran all the way down to Beersheba, right to the end of the country, and then away into the wilderness, sat under a juniper tree and said, Lord, it's enough. I'm no better than my fathers. You might as well just take my life. I'm done. I'm finished. Nothing's changed. In fact, twice he said, I'm the only one left. There's nobody else but me who's honoring you. I'm the only one left. And God had to correct him. And God says, yet I have reserved 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal or kissed his mouth. 7,000. Yeah, they're not all prophets like you, Elijah. Yeah, they're not all as bold as you, but still they have not bowed the knee to Baal. They're still true to me. You see, it's very simple, but it's very stark in this life. Who do you bow the knee to? You either bow the knee to the gods of this world, or you bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, I don't worship other gods. Well, the gods that many men worship today, they're not fictional gods. They're not Greek gods or Roman gods. Sometimes they're that big, bright, shiny piece of metal in their driveway. Sometimes it's their career. Sometimes it's their hobby. Sometimes it's an individual. You know, we... we Whatever, whatever we spend all of our time and our effort and our money on can become our God that we worship. And so we have to make up our mind. Who are we going to bend the knee to? Because one day, either in time or in eternity, you're going to bend the knee to Jesus. No better time to do it than in time. Because if you wait 
into eternity, it's too late. The opportunity's gone forever. So I say to you today, if you have never bowed the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ, why did you do that? Because one day you will, for sure. Everybody will. But why didn't you do it in time? Why didn't you do it today? And then you can live the rest of your life in the assurance that you belong to God, that you're His child, and that you're going His way, and that you're going to life, live your life for Him. And, and whatever direction life takes you, it'll be His direction. It'll be His will. It'll be His way that you'll want. That's what it means, you know, to become a real Christian. We no longer live for ourselves. We live for Him and for His glory. We live to serve Him. We live to love Him. We live to, to reach out to others and tell them about Him. And it's wonderful. I remember when I bent the knee, and perhaps there's many listening to me today, and you've bent the knee too, and you know that your life was radically changed. It's never been the same, and that can happen to you today. So why don't you give your life to Christ today? Let me pray a simple prayer. A simple prayer. Think about it. Right now, you can receive Christ as your Savior. So how do I do that? Well, you've got to be prepared to repent, to turn your back on your way, your ways, what you want, and be prepared to go God's way and have His will in your life. That's what repentance is. And then invite Him to come into your life so that you can love Him and serve Him and I promise you, your life will radically change. If you're genuine and sincere, your life will radically change. It'll never be the same again. So will you pray this with me today? Lord God, I come before you right now. And I've heard David say today that one day I will have to bow my knee to your son, the Lord Jesus. And so I'm choosing right now today, at this moment, to bow my knee to your son Jesus and invite him to come into my life and take control of me and change me from the inside out and make me a new person in Jesus Christ. Give me the strength and the grace to live for you, to serve you, to know you, to honor you and to be a true and a real Christian in this life for the rest of my life. I ask this, thank you for your grace and mercy I ask this in Jesus' name.